one thing, and I know some of this stuff may be a little bit overwhelming to you, some of the stuff that we did cover. There are some, you're not going to, you're not going to remember everything. The one thing I want you to remember is that there is a model. And that understanding that model, then you can start filling in the details on that model. And when you, if you, if you will focus on that and apply it to your situation, not to somebody else's, you know, and when it works great for you, don't go tell somebody, hey, these are the things I put on and everything went wonderful. I, I have complete confidence that if you'll apply this model just like if you'll embrace Christ, um, it doesn't mean that the world stops being a, uh, uh, a mean and ugly place sometimes. It just means that your life will have peace Amen. and fruitfulness. So, um, but it needs to be, you need to be in harmony with Christ and, and let everybody else, you know, find their way there too. Have you found writing a book or developing a, um, a Yeah, Robert Fair at Light Bears has been harassing me for, for about a year now. We're working on it. We're working on it, so. I shouldn't say harassing me. She, he's encouraging me. <laughs> Aggressively. So. Okay. Just what I need. Okay, let's, let's pray before we start. Father Heaven, this morning again, we're thankful that you love us. Yeah. We're thankful that you're forbearing towards us. You're patient. And when we look at the history of Israel and we look at our own history, we recognize that too often we don't listen. Too often we do our own thing. But I again just are thankful for your, your, your patience and your graciousness towards us. And I just pray that somehow or another you would open our eyes and our ears to hear all and to see all that you have for us to see and hear. And that we would recognize how much you love us and how much you desire life, and not just life, but abundant life for us. And not only for us, but so that we can share this, the beauty of your character with everyone and anyone that will listen. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so um, I want to try to avoid doing too much reviewing. What I want to, what I want to encourage you to do is, like I shared the Ideal Soil book, now, philosophically, it's not exactly everything I wish it would be, but it is a very good representation of the correct model. Now, it's talking about the chemistry part of it. And remember, I had the circle up there, and I should probably draw it up there again. Is there's, more, there's more to the model than just the chemistry. And so that's what we need to get to now. We need to get to the physics or the physical part of it and the biology part of it. Now, let me draw that back up there again just so that you, you see it. This is, this is just a larger picture like I shared before, the larger picture of the model, and then each one of those aspects has to really be looked at in a little bit closer detail. Um, and so we're going we're gonna to fly. We've looked at one. <laughs> this, this, um, doing this usually takes about five days. So trying to, trying to narrow it down and make sure that you're getting a, getting a good picture of it is, is a little bit challenging. But... Um, what we're trying to achieve now, the chemistry, we're going to jump to the physics, and I'm going to, organic matter, I'm going to touch on with the environmental influences just a little bit, you know, at the, at the tail end of it, and rep talk about that then. Well, let me just talk a little bit about that right now. In Isaiah, the, the Bible says, God says that to the law and to the testimony, if they speak not according to these things, there's what? There's, there's no light in them. Um, when I talk about different schools of thought in agriculture, I'm not, I'm not p picking on individual people or anything, but what I'm trying to help you understand is that the devil is just not going to give you the whole truth. 
and he's going to try to give you representations. And people, there's a lot of sincere people trying to do everything that they know to do. That's right, and everything. But we have to we have to compare these rep, these ways of thinking or practices with with a biblical model, a complete model to see is everything there. Is it really providing us with everything that we need? And the organic school of thought is that organic matter or compost will largely provide everything that the plant needs. Is that, am I representing that mm -hmm. correctly? Um, there, are, there is some mineralization that goes on in the, in the use of natural rock powders like rock phosphate or green sand or granite dust, and there's some, you know, there's some other rock powders that are, uh, that are applied to that, but largely organic matter is, is the belief that it, it has everything in it so that the plant needs. But let me ask you this question. Do you believe that your life experience is complete and balanced? What's, organic matter is what, everything that was once living that is now dead in the soil. Well, it's actually everything that is living or once living in the soil. So it includes living roots and biology and stuff in the soil. But if you're depending on organic matter, which would be testimony, would be life experience, if you're depending on that to provide everything, would you have a high degree of confidence you're getting everything based on your own experience or the experience of things you see around you, the experiences of others around you? The reality is that none of us really have a very complete and, and balanced experience. And so to assume that, that organic matter has that is a very dangerous assumption. I would like to... It can, because we have... If you go to Revelation, what is... What does God call us to? He calls us to keep the commandments of God and have the faith of Jesus. Was Jesus' testimony complete? Yeah. His testimony was complete and it was balanced. And so there is a testimony that we can, we can be nourished by. And we can gain... Now, when organic matter breaks down in the soil, it turns into humus. You've heard those two terms, organic matter and humus, and sometimes people use them inter interchangeably. But humus is what organic matter breaks down to in its most basic and stable form. And the interesting thing about humus is if you were to take it into a lab and analyze it, it would come out identical to that ideal chemistry model. Because nature will, will remove, nature is trying to obey God and is trying to restore and heal and balance. And so when it, when it breaks down to that most stable form, nature has removed all the excesses and the deficiencies and everything from it. And so, it, it, and it, it matches identically with that. But that's not, and so when we, like say we could read other people's experiences, and we're encouraged to do that. We're, we're encouraged to read the experiences of the pioneers and when, when we study the lives of other people, we still have to have some complete model to, to, to digest that, that experience and digest it down to and distill it down to what is complete and balanced out of their lives. And we can be nourished by that. So organic matter certainly is beneficial to the soil. And, and so it, and it's a key component of it. In fact, if you'd had no organic matter in the soil, nothing would grow. You could have perfect chemistry, and you could have good air and water exchange, and if you didn't have any organic matter, any humus in the soil, nothing would grow. You could have a fraction of a percent of humus in the soil, and something would grow. But if you completely remove it, nothing will grow. And so you'll see a lot of cases where land turns to the desert. It's that tipping point where the, the, the humus content of the soil essentially goes to zero. And now it doesn't matter what else is there because there's no life there anymore. 
there's no spark of life, the, the continuation of life is there anymore. So there's a lot more that could be said about organic matter as a key component. Like I said, one of the things I think I mentioned was that it has 30 times, 30 times the exchange capacity of clay. And the humus. Well, yeah, when, it, when the organic matter, as it breaks down into humus, the, the, the exchange capacity increases to as much as 30 to 35 times that of, of clay. And so it's one way, say you have a soil that's a sandy soil. Somebody asked me, I don't remember who it was, said they had, a, had sand. Sand, yeah, there you go. Um, what's your name? Lucia. Lucia. She, she, shared her, she was showing me her soil analysis, and her, her cation exchange is so poor. I'm not saying that to discourage you, but her exchange capacity is so poor that she needs to stay close to Jesus. <laughs> um, but this is why you need to know. You need to know, you know, where am I in relation to, to, to the Lord? Where am I and what do I need to do? And so she, you know, because it's a three point, when you get below 5.22, you can't maintain the minimum levels in the soil very well anymore. And hers is at 3.35. And so... God has a special set of rules for, for that. That's Michigan, northern Michigan soil. Yeah, and so, but the, but the reality is that the model doesn't give up hope because people are in a in a in a very fragile situation. There's there's hope for those people and those soils just like there are, because we have the opposite out there. You know, there are soils that have CECs of fifty and sixty, and and uh, those require so much work, so much so much resources that most of the time the growers that have those type of soils never even bother to try to even get them all the way there. They just try to make sure they got it far enough that it... But if they got it all the way there, if they got it all the way to it was fully, fully formed, I bet we would see people carrying grapes on, on uh, what beans. The question was, what is a good exchange? Um, well, a good exchange is the one you have because it's the one you have. But if, if I had to pick one, because it's the one you have to work with. But if I had to pick one, you would want something maybe in the range of 12. And the only reason is because it's, it's, it's high enough, the bucket is big enough that it can hold enough nutrients to be productive. And, and, and to be productive, you know, without, you know, really close managing of it. As opposed, if it's really low, then it's you know more. It has to be more tightly managed. If it's really heavy, it just takes so much inputs to to get it there. That neither one of them are impossible, but probably somewhere around you know around twelve would be a good one because it's it's the most manageable, Is that the, the most range, economically range, manageable. A range between twelve and something. Well, ten, fifteen. Well, uh, I don't have my buckets here anymore. What it's measuring is the capacity of the soil to hold nutrients. When you're measuring the cation exchange capacity, it's measuring the capacity of the soil to act. How many, how much, do you have a five gallon bucket represented or do you have a one gallon bucket, a one quart bucket? And, and the reason you need to know that is because if you have a two gallon bucket and you apply five gallons worth of stuff to the soil, what's going to happen? You're going to waste, you're going to waste a lot and you're going to create a, a, a imbalances and, a, and, uh, Resources are wasted, and you're not going to achieve what you wanted to achieve. And the opposite is true. If you have a, a five-gallon bucket and you only put two gallons worth of resources onto it, uh, amendments, you're not really you haven't achieved the potential of the soil yet. Mm -hmm. 
Over here? No, no, no. Well, organic matter plays a role in the cation exchange. It's just that clay is many times larger in volume in the soil than organic matter is. Um, you may have in a, in a two million pounds of the top six, seven inches, you know, you may have 20, 30,000 pounds, 40,000 pounds of humus. And then you can see how much more you have of the mineral content, and then of that, the clay is it's just it's a much larger content. So it actually influences the, the CEC a lot more than the humus does. But I was sharing with some people up here, and I'll share it really quickly. There was a farmer in Iowa who loved farming. He had very fertile soil in Iowa, and he, he restored it to a complete and balanced situation. But he eventually retired. He moved to Florida. And he was in Tampa, you know, the Tampa area of Florida. And he had beach sand. But he wanted to garden still. He loved growing. It was his life. And so I, I share this because sometimes we get the idea that we just don't have the gifts or the, the talents or anything that we can really make a difference in life. Unless we have this, we have this highly talented ability and everything like that. But... He took his beach sand in Florida and he applied these principles to it and he used um, colloidal clays and he used humus, compost and stuff like that. And the materials he needed on that beach sand and by the time he was about 90 years old, if you were to take a soil test and look at, you know, other than CEC, if you were to take the, and the capacity, if you were to take that soil and, and measure it to the soil in Iowa, it was just as fruitful as that soil in Iowa. And so it's not where we start, and it's not how gifted. Remember, the parable of the talents is about increasing. And so it doesn't matter whether you start with one, two, or five. It's a matter of whether you increase them. And so if we'll apply the principles of, of life to what we do, God can take somebody who doesn't feel like they have any talents, any gifts, or anything at all, and if, he'll, if we'll let God mold our lives, then we can, he can do anything with us that, that he needs and wants us to do. And so, a lot of, I know there's a lot of people in church where they feel like, um, well, I can't talk like the pastor talks, and they're not a doctor, or they're not a missionary, or, and I don't have much money, or, you know, all, there's a thousand things that discourages us and everything, but there's not a person sitting out there that God couldn't do wonderful things with. And he doesn't expect, he doesn't, just like, you wouldn't expect from a soil that has a CEC of 3.35, to be able to achieve what a soil of, of 20 or 30 or 40 could potentially do. You know, it's starting at that same starting point. But God doesn't measure us that way. He measures us according to the 3.35 or the 20. And if we're a 20 and we're only, we're only contrib contributing 3.35, you see a lot of talented people that way where they become lazy, they become indifferent and everything. And so God's calling us to accountability for what we are accountable for and not what anybody else is accountable for. What can your CEC go up to? Boy, there's soils that go all the way up to 100. They're pretty tough to work with. Are they called concrete? Huh? <laughs> are they called concrete? Concrete? I don't think so, but it, it, they could be sometimes. <laughs> You know, it's just that when you get that heavy, it, it's the, the, the soil becomes a lot denser, and and uh, it can be worked with. It's just that some of these far out things we don't really have a lot of experience with because people, 
just because of economic realities, most growers won't even bother. They'll just say, you know, I just can't afford to, I can't afford to do anything with that. So, or they'll manage it in a half functional, you know, partially functional situation or whatever. But so, so organic matter is essential to the growing system. It holds water. Another aspect is that if you have a 5% humus content, it can hold five to six inches of water. So if you've got a five inch rain, it'll suck up all of it. and It'll gradually dole that water out over the next time frame. So you see what a complete and balanced system does for you is it levels life out. And so the world around you is going this way and that way and up and down and the temperatures are going up and people are extreme this way and then they're cold and then they're hot and then they're wet and then they're, you know, their, their spirit is all fired up and then they're all dry as bones and, and everything like that. But God levels our lives out and so that, that all of these buffers are put back into place and they keep us even and they keep us nourished all the way along no matter what the world's doing all the way around us. And so if you have that humus content built to that level, one, it holds tons of nutrients in it. And so you... If you get a good natural biological system going, a humus content of five is going to provide you with um, 100 pounds of nitrogen released out of it every year. And most crops, you're not going to need a whole lot more than that, and the biology is easily going to be able to provide the rest of that from fixing it out of the air. Now, as if you go down to a 1% humus content, you're barely going to hold an inch of water, and you're, you're, the nitrogen release out of that may be 40 pounds. And so can you see how when you, when you have an abundance of, the, of a balanced system, so what if you have to go a year and you can't afford to put nitrogen on or you can't, you know, it's a drought year. I was sharing this morning, I think I shared with somebody here, a farmer two years ago in the, in the Midwest in Illinois, you know, we had that drought and, and everything was totally bone dry and his silage corn was 12 to 15 feet tall and it was green from the top to the bottom. And... The fascinating thing about it, and I apologize to you folks who have heard this already. I've had people ask me different, two different times. Um, at the base of each plant, this was the most fascinating thing about it. At the base of each plant, now the biology functions in the aerobic zone of the top few inches of the soil. And so it has to be moist there. It has to, the biology has to have the conditions there for them to, to function. And so in a drought, when it dries out up there, the, the biology goes to, uh, dormant. They shut down, but the plant depends on that biology. And so the plant has to kind of slow down and everything when it gets dry that way. But the fascinating thing, every, down every row, and Dr. Arden Anderson has these pictures, and I tried to get them, but I was unable to, to get them yet. But there was a diameter, about a one-foot diameter of moist soil. Now, it hadn't rained there for weeks. And everything around it was brown. And this, and it, but there was a, a diameter, about a one-foot diameter of moist soil around the base of every stalk of corn. What the plant was doing, and I'll show you how it was doing it, but, well, I don't know how it was doing, but I'll show you how it was able to do it. It was pulling moisture from deep in the soil and bringing it up and moistening the soil around the base of the plant so that the biology could continue to function. Now, they dug a trench in his field because they wanted to see how deep the roots of these corn plants were growing. Now, most people don't realize in the corn belt they're grown in a planter box. You see these big acres and acres, fields of corn, but the, the soil's compacted just six inches deep. The roots can't even get more than six inches deep. And they put all the soluble fertilizers in the and they depend on the rain. And so that's why they were all dried up. But they dug this trench and they looked at the roots and the roots were at least five or six feet in the ground. And 
This is part of this model, is you want the air and water dynamics to be able to flow. You want the air to be able to exchange in and out of the soil. And you want the moisture that goes deep into the soil, you want it to come back up. There, now, I'm going to take a deviation for about five seconds here. Have you ever heard people talk about planting by the signs of the moon? Yes. Well, most of those things are kind of hokey, or they seem kind of, they seem kind of um, way out there, but there is some science based to some of that. And one of the interesting things about the, and it's physics, I'm, not, I'm talking science here, I'm not talking about some esoteric thing um, or astrological thing. When the moon cycles the earth, what does it create? What is the one thing it creates if you live near the ocean or something like that? Tides. And so what it does is the same thing in the ground. If there's moisture deep in the ground, it'll draw moisture up, and then as it goes back, the moisture will settle down. But if you don't have the channels for that water to freely move, it won't do it. And so um, another, there's another thing with the moon. is actually the, the gravitational pull. When it's a full moon, it's different than when it's a new moon. And so when, if you plant seeds, you can actually, you can actually get a, at an advantage of a few days by timing the planting of your seeds, depending on the cycle of the moon. That's the true planting by the, by the, planting by the moon principles. They're, they're what I call one percenters that you add after you have the major things taken care of, where you can do some refinements that will enhance what you're doing already. Did I see a handout somewhere? Well, he wasn't no-till. This, this farm wasn't no-till. Now, we're going to talk about that when we get to the, the physics part of it. But... Um, Pharaoh, God plowed Pharaoh's heart, didn't he? Multiple times. And what happened each time? What does the Bible say that happened to Pharaoh? He hardened his heart. Did God harden his heart? Or did God plowing his heart reveal what his character already was? See, one of the things we need to remember with the, with the outpouring of the, Holy, of the Holy Spirit of the latter rain is that it will only reveal what we already are. It'll only bring to maturity what we already are. It's not going to change what we are. So um, we're going to get to that when, when, it, when you can physically plow ground because there's a spirit of prophecy quote, and a lot of people ask me about this, and where she says you should plow often and deep. Mm -hmm. Have you heard that, read that? Okay, we're going to talk about it because a lot of people misunderstand what's being said there. Um, but no, the organic matter... Uh, what you're trying to do is you're trying to open channels in the soil where air can move up and down, in and out of the soil. You can get exchange and where water can move. It's more hydration dynamics instead of just having water there. But the point about the organic matter was that it holds moisture. It's like a sponge and it just swells up with that water. And uh, then it'll, it will release it back out as it's needed through the soil. So say you need an inch a week and you get a five inch rain and you got a five inch humus content and it absorbs all that water doesn't leach things out because it doesn't run through the soil. It's actually captured by the soil. And then the next five weeks, you don't get rain. Well, you're in a whole lot better position than the person that only has 1% humus content because about a week later, he's going to be in trouble. And five weeks later, you're hoping that next rain comes. But there's a parable in the Bible that Jesus shared about the ten virgins. And this has something to do with it. I'll leave it with you guys to think about that one. Um, but we want what we want to do is first we've got to get this in the aerobic zone. We've got to get it where the, the life is most functional. But what had happened, this grower had been doing this for years, decades probably. And so he had built the depth of that growing system.
So it was deep. It wasn't just on the top. It was, it was deep into the earth. And so he had built the durability into his, into his soil that very few people have. And so when everything's burning up around them, he actually had the highest yield off that field he'd ever had that year. Because he had sunshine. You know, sunshine, he was capturing more energy because there were few cloudy days. And so he was able to capture more sunshine. And because he had all the other resources available to him, that plant was able to just pump it out. And, and everybody else was just burning up. And so that's what God will do for us, though, when we, when we, when we embrace all of this in, a, in spiritual terms, is that we'll thrive when everything else is in turmoil and, and in trouble. And it's not going to mean that we're going to be taken out of it. It's going to be all around us. But our ability to bear fruit in spite of the, the difficulties of life will, will be manifested. So, um, Did anybody else have anything else they wanted me to ask or address about organic matter? Otherwise, I'm going to move on to the other. We're going to get to that now. Okay, so so that's that one half of your your soil. You want about forty to forty five percent mineral, but you, that mineral needs to be represented in a complete and balanced way. And we've talked about that. And I just encourage you, if you can afford to, to get the ideal soil book because it really just it really lays that out in in a very clear way for you, so that you can sit down. Sometimes you're sitting here listening to stuff and. Uh, I almost wondered if my PowerPoints bit the dust so that you would be required to listen and not be looking and writing so much. <laughs> but maybe not. So maybe just technology. Uh, but there are resources that you can utilize to, to sit down and be able to go over it and go over it again and go over it again until you get a you know you get a good understanding, a good handle of it. Um, I put another book back there called the Soil Biology Primer. When we get to the biology, we're only gonna, I'm only going to hit high points that I think are important about it. But that's a great resource to help you get a picture of what's, what uh, the soil biology is in the soil and what it does for you. And, and, and the connection is, is that when you get the chemistry right, the chemistry will correct the physics. And this is going to be my transition to the plowing and the plowing deep. And then once you have the, the, the food sources, and the, the structuring, it's like we want, a shelter, we want shelter and we want nourishment. And the biology wants the same thing, and the moisture necessary. Then your goal is ultimately to get life flowing in that soil, to get life fully functional in the soil. And that's when the soil biology really kicks in and starts doing things for you that there's no need for us to do for ourselves. They can do it. It's, it's designed. God designed it to efficiently do very specific things. And then we give to, we give and we receive back from that. What, the, what can be done better by them, we receive back by giving them something that we can give them. Um, so, so now we're on the other side, and that other half is actually pore space. I've got it divided in half with the air and water, but the other half of the soil you want is pore space or air space in the soil. But of that half, half of that you want filled with water. You want water available in the soil. So, and that's generally what you're shooting for. It can be a little bit this way or a little bit that way, depending on, you know, the texture of the soil and those type of things. But, so let's, let's talk about how do, you, how do you get air in the soil? How do you get the soil opened up if it's not opened up? And we'll just jump to the plow, the, 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 the quote about plowing often, plowing deep. What is the objective in working the soil? Because somebody mentioned something about no-till and things like that. When, when the statement is made, we should plow 
often and deep, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? A rototiller? Okay. You're younger. A moldboard plow. Yeah, we got some moldboard plows in here. Um, Subsoilers. Chisel plows. You know, there's a lot of ways to, to plow the ground. But everything you just mentioned is iron, right? And so the, the thing that immediately pops in people's mind when that statement is made is that, oh, we got to get the moldboard plow out and plow that ground. We got to get that iron out and plow that ground. Or we got to get the tiller out. Or we got to get the subsoiler out. Or we've got to get the. Which there is a place for that. Now, the important thing is you need to know what are you trying to achieve? What is it you're trying to do? You're trying to get air into the, you're trying to open the soil up so air, you can get air into the ground, so you can get air exchange, oxygen coming in. What's that? Earthworms. Right. Well, that's the biology that we're, we're trying to get all the support to. Um, but nature has other ways of tilling the, plowing the ground and plowing it deep and plowing it often. You know what a dandelion is? You ever seen how long dandelion roots get? You know what thistle is because we shared about thistle, and I get thistle goes thistle could go 10, 20 feet into the ground. Alfalfa roots can go 10, 20, 25 feet into the ground. And so, what we need to understand is a principle: we need to open channels into that soil so that there's air exchange and air in the soil. Now, it may be we're going to use the moldboard plow. Now, it, there, there are certain conditions where that might be the appropriate thing to do. We might use a rototiller, we might use a subsoiler. But we need to remember also that the Bible says that God, you know, God plowed Pharaoh's heart and it hardened it. The first thing you need to understand, and why we covered the chemistry first, is if you do not change the chemistry of the soil, every time you plow that ground and, and you have the wrong chemistry, it will get harder, it will run back together, and it will get harder every time you do that to it. And so... The character of the soil has to be changed. Otherwise, you'll, you'll just create a worse situation than you had to start with. And so the plow often and plow deep, it means, it doesn't mean that you're going to get the rotor tiller out because you can do a lot of damage. You can put too much air into the soil. And when we get to the biology, you'll see you can do a lot of damage to the biology in the soil by overworking the soil. So it's important to know what is it that I'm actually trying to do what is it that I'm trying to achieve? And what is the most efficient and effective way of doing it? And so, how many of you, you know what daikon radishes are? Mm -hmm. There's a, there's a, they call them tiller radishes now, but they're really a daikon radish. And growers are using them to, to till the ground. Because they'll put that big fat um, root down that deep. And that's a pretty big channel <laughs> to open up in the soil. Um, but like I said, there's other, there's other uh, crops. But now some of these top-rooted crops, if you put them on the soil and the chemistry is not right, they're not going to do very well either. And so, you, you, again, that's why you have to address the chemistry because it's going to affect these other two. And it's going to affect how effective you are at achieving these other, these other objectives. And so you can, use the, you can use the iron. And the plow off and plow deep is you want, the, the whole principle is you want to maintain the ability for air to get into that soil. You want the breath of life to get in there because there's an, an illustration. Leaves are like roots in the air and roots are like leaves in the ground. 
The plant uses both of them to draw in to draw in air and nutrients and water in order to grow and to thrive. And so we want to be sure that it has all the access to everything it needs. And most I put a book on the back table. There's several books on looking at weeds. We call them weeds. They're just really plants. And they're really actually obeying God and doing what they're doing. I was talking to Dr. Clark this morning, and he said, I fouled my ground and the quack grass took over. And I said, well, it's a lesson book, too. What, what's being, a messenger is being sent to you. But what nature is doing is it's actually trying to heal the land. And so, you know, we want that nice green lawn and the dandelion grows up in it. And what's the reason the dandelion's growing there is because there's not enough calcium there. And the dandelion's going down deep into the ground to calcium layers and, and mining that calcium and bringing it back up. When the dandelion dies in the root, you got a channel, you got more calcium at the surface. And uh, we put weed killers on and try to kill the messenger because we don't want it there. And so you might have to wait 50 years before nature restores it if nature has the resources there to restore balance. Nature will. Nature obeys God and is doing everything. And so the quackgrass came. If you've got compaction in your soil, most weeds grow because the conditions are right for them to grow. And the conditions are not right for you to grow the good crops that you want to grow. And so these, these weeds, as we call them, outcompete what you grow there and they'll choke it out. It's just like in the parable of the sower. You had the soil where the, the thorns and the thistles, they came up and choked it out. Well, the thorns and the thistles weren't necessarily evil. It said that they were growing there because the conditions were right for them to grow there. And they just, and it's like our lives. I mean, we have all kinds of things there in our lives that are out of balance and out of whack. And, and things try to kind of happen in life that could balance, you know, help restore balance in our lives, but we tend to, you know, fight against them. And so, in, in his case, a lot of the rhizome based grasses um, will grow because of anaerobic conditions. You don't have air in the soil, and it creates butane and ethane and methane. And uh, a lot of these anaerobic compounds, it'll also, if it gets bad enough, and the chemistry gets bad enough, it gets hard enough, you'll start producing alcohol and formaldehyde. And if you can dig down in there, you'll have growers dig down there who've got these conditions, they'll dig down and that uh, corn stalk will look like it's fresh as it was. Because what do they do when they embalm bodies? What do they put in it? Formaldehyde. And so in an in anaerobic condition like this, all these compounds are generated. Well, certain plants just cannot grow in those conditions. They're toxic to them. And so other plants will grow, and the rhizome-based grasses, what do the rhizome-based grasses do? They move across the surface of the ground, and they're covering the, they're covering the ground, but they move, the rhizomes move just underground across the surface. They're not going down into that, into that mess that's just a few inches down and everything. And they're trying to, along with other plants that will wind up growing there, they're trying to heal the land. But it's a good indication in the book. I, I mentioned, I, didn't, I don't know if I ever finished that, that there's a book back out on weeds and what they tell you. And there's three or four books that are written on that. This happens to be by Jay McCammon, and I think Bob Jorgensen has that book. Um, but there's weeds, uh, Control Without Poisons, and uh, there's a couple others. And so these are some of the things you can start doing to learn to, to read nature, to understand what are, the, what are the symptoms, what are the indications of the condition of the soil. And... Uh, it encourages us. That's why the garden, the garden was, Adam and Eve was put, were put in the garden because it was a manifestation of the glory of God. It was a manifestation of all of the wonderful characteristics of God. And he had the opportunity to learn from them firsthand by intimately being involved in it. 
And even even when the soil, with the earth messed up and the stuff that's growing there messed up, we can learn from the things that are there how to how to restore restore life. So, um, but you have to have the physical structuring of the soil. And the beautiful thing is the, the calcium and magnesium. Now, remember, I said at the beginning that if you ask, if you were in a college level soil science class and you asked them if, when they put this up, because this is a common pie chart that is used in gardening classes and in college level classes and everything, and they put this chart up and they say this is the ideal soil, and then you ask the question, you know, if, if you don't have it, how do you get it? And they tell you, we don't know. Well, the key to it is the chemistry, the character of the soil is the first key. The calcium and the magnesium control the texture of the soil. Calcium flocculates the soil. In other words, those clay, those clay plates that are in there, clay, it becomes, a, they're like plates, and they want to sit down on each other like this. Now water, Water, depending on the type of clay it is, water will separate them and keep them apart, and they become more. They might become more. They have higher exchange rates as a result of that. But they want to sit like this, and magnesium pulls them together in a flat way like this, and it tightens the soil up. Calcium turns them this way, or this way, or this way, and it's called flocculation. And what it does is it opens the soil up. It's like God coming in and giving us a heart of flesh rather than a heart of stone. And so, so it's the calcium and magnesium balance. And, you know, while we need the, and the interesting thing about magnesium is there's a very narrow window in which you, you, you gain nourishment from it. That 10 to 20% window, if you go out of it on either direction, if you go over it or you go under it, then you, you no longer get enough of it anymore. And I believe that probably has something to do with the guidance of the law of God. There's a very narrow window that keeps us bound, that keeps us bound together. Now, I don't want to stretch this, this analogy too far, but there's a very narrow window that we need to stay in that, that it, because the, we need the soil held together. But I think calcium is the character of love, and it opens that, it opens that soil up. It opens it up so that air can get in there, and it can breathe, and... and and everything, but you can take that too far too. You can put too much calcium on the soil, and it it'll fall. It'll literally just you can blow it away. It's unstable now. It doesn't have the, the structuring that it needs in order to hold it together, and so it requires balance. But you can see that you need when you see that you need sixty to seventy percent calcium and ten to twenty percent magnesium. You see that the the, the balance. And how much love is love should influence every other characteristic. And remember that I said that that uh, you can't bring all of those trace elements up to the highest levels until you get the optimum calcium levels. Well, until you really have love in your heart, some of the characteristics that we need to express will not be will be very toxic to people. <laughs> will be very can be very damaging, and it does, doesn't have to be that way. But until it's moderated by our love towards them, they they won't they can't have the full benefit and influence on other people's lives or in our own lives for that matter. And so, I shared with somebody this morning that the more I learn, the more I feel like a little child because I realize that everything that I learn, I immediately see ten more things that I should understand. And so I can imagine eternity where we're trying to understand. 
you know, what God's done in his character and everything, that we're going to, how could you exhaust it? Because, I, you know, I've been doing this for 25 years, and there's things that you just, it, they're just mind-boggling to you when, you when you start looking at them. So, chemistry is what, you, you've got to change the character before the soil will stay open. And in fact, if you get the chemistry right, and you actually eventually get that soil, and you have your humus contents good, and you flock, that soil gets flocculated correctly, you can drive a tractor over it. And a little while later, like a sponge, filled with the moisture it needs, and the air that it needs, and the, nutri the, the chemistry it needs, it'll just expand right back out. It won't, it won't pack down and stay hard. It'll, it'll expand right back out. And remember I shared the, the, the illustration with you that old farmers would say that that field walks easy. It's that soil given under your feet. But then it, you could walk through that field a few days later and you may not be able to find the foot tracks in it. And so all of this combined maintains the conditions that foster life. And so you're not, so the plow often and the plow deep thing is a principle that you need to understand. You, your, your goal is to get that, that soil so it'll stay open so that the breath of life can actually enter into it and, and nourish it. And, and maintain it. So, because of my limited time, I'm going to, I'm going to, as far as the physics go on that, that's the key point, is that the character of the soil affects the phys physical structuring of the soil. And we do need to open our hearts. God plows our hearts. He plows them in different ways. But, um, whether they, whether we, they stay open, there's a soil in Hawaii, I'll probably share this one, there's a soil in Hawaii, and they've overused so much nitrogen, that they've driven all the calcium, you know, a huge amount of the calcium out there. They're, they're trying to straighten it out now. But they, they bring these big, giant tractors. Now, you've seen the big articulating tractors with big tires. They have eight tires, two on each on side of each axle. These have three tires on each axle. And they pull these big, giant rippers in there, and they rip the soil. They, they water it, and then they go in with these rippers, and they rip the soil, and it comes out in these big chunks like this. And then they, they, they go back and they water it again and they bring these big, these discs with these discs about this big and they go over it and it breaks it down to the chunks about that big. And then they, they water it again and they come in and they, they bring a, a finer disc in and they go over it. And they, but they never get it down to more than chunks like that. I mean, how, can you imagine trying to plant in the soil with, with chunks of dirt, hard dirt like that? And then they sow the seed in there and they water it to keep it moist and everything so that the roots can try to penetrate into there. But... But all the way along, they're trying to break up that fallow ground. They're trying to, and the, the problem is they're fighting against the character in that soil. They're fighting against the chemistry in that soil that is opposing them. And so, thankfully, they corrected it. They were putting they were putting broiler manure on as their source of nitrogen, and they just switched to putting egg laying manure on, which is very high in calcium. And the calcium began working on the soil, and now they don't have those conditions anymore. That was one of those CEC soils. I think it was about up by 50 or 60. It was a volcanic soil, and it had this massive CEC to it. But um, So we do need to break up the ground. We do need to plow. But when, our, when we plow the ground, we want to make sure that we're, we're nourishing it with the right character, with the right chemistry, so that when we open it up, it's going to stay open some each time that we do it. We don't want to be like Pharaoh where... We just keep plowing the ground, and the more we plow the ground, the, the it happens to us. 
by the way, really does. As, as our life is plowed, we become harder and harder and harder if we resist the influences of, of God on our life, if we resist the changing, the changes that God brings to us. So, um, so plow often and plow deep, but plow, plow with the with righteousness in mind, and not simply to, to tear the ground up. Because you, you know, if we go out, another illustration is that if we go out plowing people's lives, and we don't have anything to nourish them with they're not going to be in such a receptive state the next go around. But if we nourish them, we go out there and we may plow their ground in, in one way or another, but if we nourish them in the process with the fruits of righteousness, then, then uh, that ground is going to stay open a little further than it did that previous time. And then the next time around, it'll stay open a little more and a little more. And yeah, I'll answer the question. Then I, want, there's, I want to share what might happen when you do. <laughs> well, it's, it's, usually used, it's usually used to... Um, to break the ground open before you, and as a cover crop or a, or a green manuring crop, or, or it's a tillage, a tillage crop, and then you'll 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 work the ground. And a lot of times, what they'll do is they'll they'll use a, a furrow or a harrower, either a power harrow or something, where they only work the ground so deep, so they get a seed bed ready, prepared, so they can sow into it, but they don't do damage. The other thing is, how deep do you need to go? Because if it, it's one of these things, when you get the biology going in your soil. You don't necessarily want to damage all that. There was some research done up in Canada, and they planted, they grew a, a vetch crop, and uh, then one of them they tilled it in, and they planted squash. Another one they they tilled it in, they put a uh, plastic mulch down, and they planted <coughs> squash. And another one they they just laid down the mulch, the the, the uh, vetch. They just rolled it, and they put mulch over it. And, and then another one, they just laid it down, they planted in it. And where they'd done the tillage on both of them, either the, the, the one they didn't put the plastic mulch on and the one they did put the plastic mulch on, they were about two to three weeks behind. Either ones where they just rolled the vetch down and they planted through it, or they put it in the plastic and they planted through it. But, and, and why was that? If you, if, if you didn't have the right conditions, if you didn't have good soil structuring, it might not be the same. But they didn't disrupt the biology that was established there, the, the fungal hyphae that were established, the mycorrhizal fungi, who had, who had put all their, their hyphae out through the soil and all these networks through the soil, when you go in and till it, you tear that up. And so you can just, when you're preparing a seed bed, you might only go a few inches deep and not mess with the mid-zone of the soil. It's all about knowing, what do I need to do? Do I need to open the soil up deep? Do I just need to prepare a seed bed? So how we plow the ground has to be determined by, you know, what is it we're trying to the objective we're trying to achieve, and we want to do minimal disturbance. If it needs to be disturbed, so be it, but if it, we want to do minimal disturbance, if it's not necessary, and we can preserve some of the things we've already built that are beneficial. Would it be necessary if you had deep root crops, carrots and things like that? You have to go deeper, you can still work with just that two inches. Well, if you want to, uh, if, if you're growing carrots, the question was, what about if you're growing carrots or something like that? Well, again, here's you're making a decision based on what you're planting. And so you're going to know about your soil. We should all know about our soil. So is it is it loose enough for you to... I grow um, carrots that grow, you know, 9, 10, 11 inches long. And I grow it in pretty heavy soil. But it's all about whether... The, can the carrot get down through the soil? Is the soil loose enough? Is it flocculated enough? So that, and open enough so you can do that. So what you do will depend on what is the condition of the soil. 
is the condition such that you don't need to do that detailage? If it's if it isn't, you need to do that detailage, and you would do it. So, some you know, there's a lot of times that God wounds us to heal us, and so some of the things you do, you're not you're disturbing nature. Farming, you're, you're, you're creating disturbances, but the question is that the disturbance is creating a better condition in the end than the disturbance is creating, the, cause, the disturbance is being created. And so, um, again, you want to know, why am I doing what am I doing? You're not, I mean, you may want to go out there and exercise. Like I had a friend of my daughter's, we broad fork. Does anybody know what a broad fork is? You're gardening. It works the soil about 10 inches deep. It's a hand tool. And uh, a friend of my daughter's came over, wanted to help out working in the greenhouse, wanted something physical to do. I said, okay, <laughs> put her on the broad fork. Let's see how long you last. Um, because it works at 10, and we have pretty heavy soil, and it was, wasn't a little... T- she stuck with it for a long time. I was really proud of her, but after a little bit, she said, can I do something else? <laughs> <laughs> um, did you have a question? How about when you're incorporating amendments into your soil? Well, the aerobic zone is about six to six. It can be six to twelve inches, depending on how healthy the soil is. But most of the biological activity is in the top three inches. So incorporating it into the top six inches is where you want it to go. You're going, it'll break down faster if you incorporate it there. And and the biology and the plants will take it deeper into the soil. Roots will grow down in the soil, and when the plant dies, the roots will decompose, and it, and it'll be left down there deeper. And so it'll t- be taken deeper in that way. Um, so I, I got about five minutes left, so let's let's jump to um, to the biology here. Unless anybody else has any other questions about that. Oh, one thing I just want to say is sometimes when you open the soil up, you discover things there you didn't know were there. Has that ever happened in your life? When God when God opens your heart up, you all of a sudden find things there that you didn't even know were there, and and unfortunately sometimes they're not such good things. Or they're, they're an exaggeration of things, and sometimes it's a good thing. I act, I do the soil work for light bears, and and uh, last year it looked like they were really deficient in phosphate, and we applied some at the level I felt was reasonable, and we got soil tests back this fall, and it's totally full. We didn't put it on. It was already there. It was either locked up in the soil, and when we increased the calcium levels in the soil, it re- made it available and released it. And, so we went from 100 pounds to 700, 6, 700, 800 pounds of, of phosphate, about at the optimum levels we needed. Some we ever overshot it a little bit, but um, that was a good thing. And so you, you don't really know. That's why it's good to know the history of your soil, the parent material, and the, and some of the history to know what was what were the influences on the. And what was applied to that soil in the past? Because my guessing is somebody used triple superphosphate on that ground at some point in time, and it all locked up. And, and then when you got the chemistry right, it all of a sudden started releasing and becoming available. There are farms out there, if you bought them, you probably never have to put a, a pound of phosphate on if you just get the chemistry level up. It would start releasing it, and you'd have it for the next 20 or 30 years. So, because people put it on, it's just locked up on them. So, okay, let's, let, let's look at um, the biology since we're there. That biology is there to help us, to do things for us, that they can do better than we can do ourselves. I do consulting on a lot of farms. I do orchards. I have, you know, vegetable farms. I have um, sod growers. 
I have a whole bunch of different people. I use the same model. And I can't emphasize this enough. The model is the same. It does not matter what you're growing and it doesn't matter where you're growing it. The model is the same. You need to, do need to understand what you're growing and what the particular requirements of that crop are. But the model is the same. And I, ha I have some fruit tree growers and, and what they're conventionally told is that they'll, they'll a lot of times only fertilize the tree line. Because they're told, excuse me, they're told that the roots of the tree won't go beyond the tree, the drip line, the drip line, I said, mm -hmm. the drip line. The roots won't go beyond the drip line. Well, that's not true. The roots of the tree will grow up to 100% beyond the drip line. Mm -hmm. But irregardless of whether that was true or not true, they're, they're completely ignoring the biology in the soil and the benefit you gain from the biology. And so their argument was, well, if I fertilized it, between the trees, then the grass is going to grow better and I'm going to have to mow the grass. I said, well, that's a good thing. I said, well, every time you mow the grass, I said, I know you have to invest energy and resources into mowing the grass, but every time you mow the grass, the roots slough off and all that breaks down into humus and you're building your humus level. But I said, bigger than that, if you put a, if you, the mycorrhizae, there, there's two big groups of, of, of biology. There's more. And there, I put a book back there called The, the Bio, Soil Biology Primer, and it's probably the best most basic book for you to as well to get a, good, a better understanding of the biology in the soil and how it can benefit you. And, but the two big ones are, are bacteria and fungi. And, we, and uh, the interesting thing is in a more acid soil, fungi tend to dominate. And so if you go into, into forests and stuff like that, which tend to be poor soil, and the fungi, which are able to break things down that are more difficult to break down, will dominate. You go to a prairie soil where it's more grass and it's more, uh, it's more fertile and things are easily broken down, the bacteria might dominate a little bit more, but you want balance. Again, we're back to the whole balance thing. The interesting thing is when the, when the chemistry is balanced in the soil, the pH falls right at about 6.4, 6.5, somewhere there. You don't worry about the, what the pH, you're not correcting the pH just to correct the pH. You're using the pH to indicate that you're missing things or you have too many of things and you need to, you need to figure out how to address that. But the other interesting thing is when that falls right there, the balance between the fungal populations and the, the bacterial populations of the soil equalize with each other and balance out. And so you get a balanced um, effort from both of those, both those groups. If you get too far one way or the other, you can have problems develop as a result of it. So, but the fungi, what, what the biggest group that's beneficial, now there's others and we really don't have time to talk about them, but, or what they call the mycorrhizal fungi or the VAM fungi in the soil, and what they do is they infect the root, what they call it infecting the roots, but in, in essence, they get inside of the roots of the plant. The plant wants them to do this. It's not something the plant doesn't want them to do. And then they extend the root system of the plant. They go out into the soil beyond where the roots of the plant do. They go, they penetrate the soil more pervasively than the plant's roots uh, penetrate the soil. And they, they can actually, and I, I've heard all kinds of different numbers, but I'll just throw this one out there because it's, it's significant enough, they can increase the reach of the, of the plant a hundredfold wow. to get moisture, to get nutrients. And again, it's, an, it's a giving thing where the plant gives the, the fungi photosynthates in exchange for mineral nutrients and water that the plant grows. So I tell these fruit tree growers, said, fertilize the whole thing because your tree is going to get from everywhere. It will go as far, as far as that fungi can go and the roots. And so it'll benefit. I, I have a friend, he planted blueberries. 
and he's got and he only wanted to fertilize around the bush. I said you'd be better off fertilizing the whole thing. Mm. Well, how about if we just? Uh, he said I filled a bunch of amendments in there, and it's going to be different than the soil next to it. I said, well, we can test both around the blueberry and the and the rest of it. He said, well, let's just do this right now. And so we did, and I made recommendations. He put it on. The blueberries didn't grow very much. And he said, what happened? I see, see all those big pine trees. I mean, there were big, these big old pine trees, just maybe 15 feet from them, 20 feet at the most. All those pine trees came in with their roots and that, that mycorrhizal fungi, and they came in and they just took your blueberries' food. <laughs> and that blueberry can't compete like that pine tree can. And so I said, that's why I told you to, to fertilize that whole area. And so he changed his mind this year. On it, but well, this is yeah. I should share this part of it. He did, and then he girdled these pine trees because he thought you know he cut around the the bark of the tree. He girdled them to take them out, so to give the blueberries more room and more sunlight and everything. So you didn't have quite as much competition. And normally a tree dies when you do that, but none of these pine trees died. We can't figure out they because of the fertility we put down there. I don't know they survived it somehow, and they're still growing even though we girdled he girdled the whole tree. Um, so I said, well, you just got to cut them down if you want them down, because they're not going to give up. So, um, but it's the same, and so that's probably the key thing with the fungi, and then there's other things that happen. They produce the fungi, have you ever gotten really fresh earth and smell, and it has that really earthy smell? That's the actinomycetes, but it's another, well, that's a, well, it depends on who, how people define it, but that's what gives it its smell. But these biology, I'm going to transition to bacteria now here. They're producing all kinds of things for the plant. They're producing, they're, they're providing nutrients to the plant in exchange for photosynthase. They're building compounds for the plant. So you have nitrogen-fixing bacteria in the soil that will provide nitrogen to the plant in exchange for photosynthase. You have, you have actinomycetes in the soil. That's what gives it that earthy smell. They're producing antibiotics and hormones and different things for the plant. Different biology produce vitamins. For the plant, and the plant, in exchange for the photosynthesis, and the plant gets them. And I share this, shared this uh, in one of the other sessions. That if you have the cobalt in the soil, now if you don't have it there, you're not going to get it. But they produce. If you got the cobalt, they have the cyanobacteria will produce B12. And so this argument that you can't be vegan and, and if you don't supplement B12 or eat some kind of dairy products goes out the window. And again, I'm going to give my caution on this because. I don't want anybody walking out of here and saying, oh, I don't have to take my B12 supplement or I don't have to, however you're, you're addressing that. You must have the conditions for that to happen before, before you, you make that step. But when I look at what the Bible calls us to, and, and we take this position where we're going to encourage a lacto-ovo diet because we have to have the B12, I consider that a lack of faith because God said this this way. Let's understand why it's that way. And let's put the conditions in place so that we can prosper the way God wants us to prosper. Anyway, um, we were supposed to cover the environmental influences. Sean's going to cover that a little bit, and I need to quit here so Sean can have his turn. Um, I am. <laughs> you are? I guess he's not. Um, what I simply want to say in this is, the soil is, in, our character is influenced by the environmental the influences around us. And so I'm talking about climatic factors. If you're in a high rainfall area, that rain, that, that excessive rain falling on your soil is going to impact the character of that soil. If you don't have enough rain, it's going to impact the character of that soil. 
temperatures impact the character of the soil. And so you have to take those things into consideration because they're, the, they're, the, they're what actually develop the, the soil the way it is. High rainfall is acidic and it'll leach stuff out. So you come to the east where you have higher rainfall and you have poorer soils because a lot, of, a lot of nutrients have been leached out of the soil. You go west where there's very low rainfall and you have high mineral content, but you have too, in a lot of cases, you don't have enough water and so you have too much minerals. A lot of people think, oh man, there's so many minerals out west, I go out there and do great. Sean's going to talk about what he's dealing with. Um, but in the mid-continent, where the millions of buffalo were, you know, and it's where all the cattle breeding, the livestock breeding and everything had, had taken place, this short grass prairie sustained millions of buffalo because there was a balance between how much moisture there was and the development of the soil. And, and so literally, you wouldn't think, remember I shared about the whole idea of it doesn't take very much nutrition if it's complete and balanced. It takes a lot less than it does otherwise. It was sustaining these massive animals in the millions. Um, but as where you moved east, they weren't there. Or if you moved west, they weren't there because part of that condition was missing or it was exaggerated. And water is a big deal. I'm going to probably real quick, we'll take a, we need to take about a 10 minute break, if you don't mind, instead of a 15. And then I need to get Sean going, but I want to show you a soil test. I want to show you Dan's soil test because we're going to talk about an issue with water because there's, we have to address everything, everything here. You need, you, need the, you need the right amount of water, but what do you do if you're in a high rainfall area? Get a big umbrella. <laughs> well, I do that. I have greenhouses. Got a big umbrella, but you know, you have to pay attention to the character of the soil. You have to build the carrot uh, soil and maintain it because you have to realize that you, you may have an excessive influence. We can't get out of the world. We can try to control as many factors as we can, but we're not going to control everything. And so we have to, again, it comes back to building a model that's complete and balanced, and then we'll have to deal with the things we deal with. Yeah, I have cards here, and I have a box of cards on the back, so it has my phone number and, and address and everything. And then my email is there, but let's pray real quick, take a short break here, so I leave some time for Sean. Father in heaven, again, we're thankful that you want to reveal yourself to us. And you want us to embrace what you've revealed, to embrace what you've revealed. And we just pray that our eyes are open, our ears are open, and we're willing to listen and see. And receive what you have for us in Jesus' name. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.